So we have uh, recently finished a series from 1 Peter. There's a lot more in 1 Peter, uh, the book, but as, um, we're just going to move on from that at the moment. But I mentioned last week a quote that really uh, blessed me. Now, in the new year, we're going to encourage people to do a 40-day devotions called 40 Days with Jesus. And uh, as a good pastor, I'm going through it first just to make sure it's okay for you. And I've got to say, it's brilliant. I've got today 15, just fantastic. But a quote that I mentioned last week really blessed me. Sometimes, you know, when you, you have quiet times and uh, you're reading something, I mean, God knows what's going on, doesn't he? He just really knows what's going on in our world. He knows what's going on in life. And there's a particular quote that really blessed me from Dave Smith, who's wrote these devotions. He says this, Is it possible that your desire to see God acting in a particular way has blinded you to the possibility that God might be acting in some other way? And I started to think back, you know, sitting there, drinking my coffee, reflecting on it. And the amount of times when I had something in mind which I think was God's inspired, but when I got to it, that God had a slightly different way of doing things that was far better than I could thought of. Now, there's lots of examples I can give uh, this morning, but I just thought it was a wonderful quote. And in this morning, we're going to look at a passage from Acts chapter 3. Uh, in a moment, and it is somebody who got well beyond what they expected. And the title of this message, if you've seen online or uh, on E! News, is It Beggars Belief. It Beggars Belief. And I looked at what it, it beggars belief means, and it basically means this. It kind of goes beyond what is believable. Goes beyond what, not just what you can expect, but what is believable. Now, I remember a few years ago in the 1990s, uh, about 1995, uh, how many of you weren't born then in 1995? Some of you are putting your hands up bit by bit. Was I born? Was I? Was I not? Was I? I'm not sure. Anyway, uh, some of you are sure, some of you weren't sure. So, uh, but I remember uh, being privileged to go on a trip to Argentina with a lot of church ministers from around the UK. I won't go into what it was all about, but there was a kind of a mini revival been get, going on there for about 20 years. And we saw some things were, that were quite extraordinary, mentioned those another time, but my point is this, there was a pastor there from Dundee, which is east of Scotland, east of Scotland, and he has quite a large church, about 500 people. And people, pastors, these pastors from the UK while we were in Argentina were saying, oh, this is unbelievable, this is unbelievable. But he hated people saying this is unbelievable. So whenever we saw something or somebody told the story about what's going on in their church and said, it was unbelievable, he would interrupt and say, it's not unbelievable. It's believable because God is involved. And he just didn't like the fact that people were using this term unbelievable. But the point is this, isn't it? That we still see God doing things that we think... That is unbelievable. It is extraordinary. Even though we know that God is involved, this is extraordinary beyond what we imagined. And this is the case in Acts chapter 3 for a particular uh, individual who was uh, a beggar. And so we're going to read the first couple of verses from Acts chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. One day, Peter and John were going to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. So this is a 
beggar that for, for about 40 years old, certainly he'd been, he was 40 years old, and he'd put at this, this kind of, not the outer gates, but the inner gates uh, into the temple courts. And these gates are about 75 feet high, which is really high. There were huge double doors, and they were wide open at this time for loads of foot traffic that was going into the inner part of the temple. And this beggar who was crippled, was placed there in this very strategic position every day. So, verses 3 to 5, what happens? So when he saw Peter and John about to enter that area, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter says, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. So he was a beggar. He needed money. He looked at Peter and John and he was expecting some money from them. Now, maybe this beggar knew that these were the Jerusalem church leaders. He probably did because they went past here nearly every day. And the beggar was put there nearly every day. So he was be familiar with Peter and John. He'd also know at this point that Christians are really generous. He would have found that out because people were even sell, selling property and land in order to give to those that were in need, not only within the church, but outside the church. So when he saw Peter and John, he would have thought, money, money, money. All my Christmases have come at once. Now, obviously, he wasn't into Christmas at that point, but you know what I mean. He would have been really excited to the point, this is Peter and John. Surely I'm going to get some of my money from them. They would have thought that they were potentially loaded. There was so much money around the early church, and Peter and John are the leaders, and they are now walking past. But to his surprise, if you get to verse 6, Peter says, silver or gold I do not have. You see, even back then, people didn't carry cash. It's not just a new thing. <laughs> Silver or gold, I do not have. And they would have thought, with all this cash flying around, that it's amazing that they didn't have any on them. Now, this is a bit of a miracle within itself, because there was a lot of money flowing around the early church, but Peter and John were not going to personally benefit from it which in some ways is kind of a miracle within itself, isn't it? Because money does funny things to people. People can get a little bit strange about money. If there's a lot of money around, there's a justification, well, maybe I should have some of that. And we, we do even hear about it in church settings, unfortunately. But our attitude to money says a lot about our faith. And it says a lot about them. Our attitude towards the poor, our friends when they're in need, the mission of the church. Now, I like the uh, testimony of Rick Warren, who heads up Saddleback Church in California, and a large church. Some of you might be familiar. They're online a lot. Rick Warren has sold a lot of books. He's just retired now. But because he was getting, a, one of the books, 40 Days of Purpose, was sold all over America, not just amongst Christians. 40 Days of Purpose is a good book. And uh, he made a lot of money from it. So he decided to reverse tithe. 
not to kind of give 10% away and keep 90%. He just felt prompted and he wanted to, to give 90% away and keep 10%. Now, you might think, that's because he had loads of money anyway. He could do that. But like I said, money does strange things to people. And to do that in a reverse way is just extraordinary. And Peter and John, I think they had this, this attitude, all this money around. But they said, silver of gold have I none. Now the Bible says, doesn't it, in 1 Peter himself, he says, your faith is of greater worth than gold. Our faith is the most important thing, precious thing that we have. And in God's economies, now people have said, haven't they, uh, this says that there's the haves, there's the have-nots, and those who have not paid for what they have. Now Peter was different to that. He was definitely a have. He was definitely a have, not regarding money. And as we continue within the passage, verse 6, let's pick up with that. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he held him to his feet, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumps to his feet and begins to walk. He then went with him in the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. I would love to have seen their faces. They knew that he was a crippled beggar. They knew it wasn't a trick. He'd been there for many, many years begging. But I just like the, 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 the phrase that, that Peter uses. He says, I don't have any money, but I know what I've got. I really know what I've got, and I know what I've got will bless you. I know that it will make an impact on your life. It's not as if he was being stingy, but he knew. He didn't say, I haven't got anything. He says, I know what I've got, and I know this is going to bless you. Didn't have cash on him that day. And he says that while, you know, Peter says, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. Took him by the right hand. We'll come to that, why that is the case. And it's, it's the, the beggar held on to Peter and John. He danced a little bit first, and he was jumping around, praising God. And then he probably thought, I'm supposed to be a cripple. So he starts to hold on to Peter and John anyway. And people came from everywhere to have a look uh, in a place called Solomon's Colonnade, where the church often met as well, if you read in the Acts of the Apostle. And for them, it beggared belief because it kind of went beyond what is believable. But it says the whole city had a celebration because of what God had done. Now, it's interesting that as they approached the gate on this day, Peter and John, and the beggar asked for money, they would have known each other. And it says, Peter looked straight at the beggar as they went in, as did John. Like I said, Peter would have seen this guy numerous times, but it's clear there was just a prompting of the Holy Spirit. There must have been a prompting of the Holy Spirit to pray for this guy on this day. That is, if God brought this focus. Now, Peter and John, they led very busy lives. They were, they were leading the early church. There was three to 5,000 people at this particular stage. I mean, they were very busy people. 
And interestingly enough, it says that at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, which is the ninth hour, um, the same time that Jesus died on the cross, the ninth hour, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, they were going to the place of prayer. And I just love the fact that they allowed themselves to be interrupted by the Holy Spirit. As they went into the inner courts and they got interrupted by this guy, they didn't say, oh no, we can't stop, we're on the way to pray. The Holy Spirit prompted them to see this individual and they prayed for him. Now, God will often lead us and prompt us to pray for people and they might get healed very quickly. There's some people that we pray for and prayer is part of the process. Sometimes we pray and what God does is actually give them strength within the midst of their sickness and their illness. But I really liked the confidence of Peter and John when Peter says, I know what I've got. I know what I've got. In the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. Now, where does their confidence, confidence come from? Now, let me give you one or two pointers as to where their confidence comes from and where our confidence might come from if we were to pray for people. We're going to look at their confidence. Hopefully some of it kind of shines on us as well and builds our confidence as well a little bit when we pray. Firstly, and these are not in order, they were simply doing something that Jesus had told them to do. Jesus had told them to do that. In John 20, Jesus says, Peace be with you, as the Father sent me, now I am sending you. So before Jesus ascends to heaven, after his death and resurrection, he reminds him, and he'd said it time again, didn't he? As the Father sent me, now I am sending you. And in John 14, Jesus also said in a different time, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And as the Father sent me, now I am sending you. You. So that would be one of the reasons for their confidence is because Jesus says, I want you to do this. I want you to do this. Now, back into the 1980s, um, even before the 90s, I am old. I remember a guy called John Wimber coming to our shores uh, from America, California. He kind of instigated the vineyard churches around the world, and God really used him really used him. And he came over in the 80s and he did all these different conferences and people used to go and he would just encourage him. You know, he'd, and his message was very simple. You know, when you read in the Bible of people praying for other people, it's not all the super Christians that can do this. His whole message from the Bible and from God was, we can all get involved. And his phrase might seem a little bit flippant, was we can all play. We can all join in. We can all be involved in the excitement of praying for people and seeing what God can do. And uh, for most of us, though, it just seems way up here, isn't it, for the super-Christians. But back in the 80s, so many people were praying for people and with a lot of encouragement and uh, it was around the time that I was starting to go to a, um, 
amongst Pentecostals a little bit more and charismatic Christians and heard people speaking in tongues and praying in tongues and I thought, oh, I want to do that. And people prophesying, I thought, I want to do that. And then I saw people kind of praying for other people to get well and some people were getting well and I thought, whoa, that's a little bit, that's a bit out there. I mean, that's up there. But I started to, I was reading in the Bible and in the Acts of the Apostles, nearly every time the gospel was proclaimed, they prayed for people to get well. You just cannot get away from it. It's the fact. I mean, it is in there in, in the scripture. And being uh, in a role that's more evangelistic, I thought, oh, Lord, what, what do you want? Is that something that you want us to begin doing in the right setting at the right time, in the right situations? And I did. I said, Lord, I want to I do that. I want to do that. As if God laid it on my heart. And around that time, we were doing a mission week in a, a town called Concert which really kind of scared my mother a little bit because Constance in the northeast, she lives in Derby, and during that week, I didn't realize till afterwards, when she said, you know, where you are, you know, what you're doing, and I'd say, I'm in concert. <laughs> it's only later that she did think that I was performing somewhere and singing. Now, there's reasons that I'm not in the choir for the carol service, but she was genuinely concerned. But anyway... We did a mission week, and through that week, on the streets, loads of people were prayed for to be healed, and they were brought back to the coffee bar and stuff like that. Loads of people were prayed for. And I thought, Lord, I want to do it. I want to do it. I want to do it. And there's a girl in our team called Jackie, who was 16, and she had a bad back. And um, the, the prayer that I had was, God, Lord, if this is of you, you've, you've got to make me do it. You've got to make me do it, because I just don't think I can do it. But this girl, Jackie, had a bad back, and she went to Gary, who was leading the mission week, and she says, Gary, I've got a bad back. Will you pray for me? And she said, get Phil to do it. And I was so nervous, I avoided Jackie for the rest of the day. It was the next day... Gary said to Jackie, has Phil prayed for you yet? And she said, no, I've still got a bad back. He says, Phil, come here. So Jackie kind of sits down on the chair. And, and what happened was, I can then describe it, is that he said, Jackie, he lifted her legs up and he, it looked as if one leg was slightly shorter than the other. And apparently, I don't know whether it's true medically, that sometimes people kind of have... If you have one leg slightly short of the other, you don't walk with a limp, but it just puts a bit of strain on your back. I don't know quite whether it's true, but he lifted her legs, and there's one leg slightly short than the other by about, by about that much. And he says, Phil, will you pray for Jackie's back? I didn't know what to pray. I thought, what does Gary pray when he prays for somebody to be? So I just copied what I thought he prayed. And, and they say that you should pray with your eyes open to see what God is doing. So I was there watching. And I was, I really, what I was pouring with sweat. And, and I can remember now, think, and, and I know what I was doing, that, that while I was praying, I was helping as well. So I was pulling one of Jackie's legs and pushing the other to make sure that they went to the same level. So she would, she would be well. And the amazing thing was, after I'd prayed, Gary said, Jackie, how is it? She stood up. And it was better. I was amazed. God is so gracious, isn't he? And throughout that week, we prayed for a lot of people. Many people got well. It was as if God was blessing us. God was encouraging us. 
But in the scripture, it's clear from the Bible that we can all take part. We can all have a go. And I think that this was the first thing that gave Peter and John confidence that we can all get involved. We can all do this. We can all play our part. Secondly, very importantly, and I'm really glad that we sung the song that we did this morning, Kayla and Isaac, whoever chose the song. They were praying in the name of Jesus. They were praying in the name of Jesus. Now, this is really important. Because when this crippled beggar started to... That, that, that people had seen a begging for years and years, he's 40 years old, when he starts to jump up and run around, it was as if they were kind of going to worship Peter and John because of what had happened. And so Peter goes on and says this, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk? And they're saying, it, it's really nothing to do with us. It's not to do with our power. It's not to do with our godliness. It's not about our goodness or even our desire. And he goes on to say, quite challenging to them, he says, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. He is the author of life, and it's in his name that we pray, not our own. Not Peter and John, but we pray in the name of Jesus. Thirdly, the cross. Matt Redmond, we sing some of his songs, and uh, he got some great songs, and he had one that just began, the cross has said it all. The cross has said it all, and I can't remember the next bit, but it doesn't really matter, because that's the bit to stick out. The cross has set it all. And Peter, if you read Peter's sermons after Jesus ascended back into heaven, a lot of them he he talks about the cross. This same Jesus that you crucified. This same Jesus that you crucified. He talks to them about what the cross means. And it's a sermon within itself. It's a sermon within itself. All of these points are. But in Isaiah 53 it says, doesn't it? Surely he took our pain and bore our suffering. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. This understanding of all that Jesus did when he went to the cross. And he took it. He took it all. And this was another thing that gave them confidence. They understood the victory of the cross that even affects when we pray for people because of what Jesus has done. Fourthly, they were aware that God likes people to be well. They'd been with Jesus for three years. And Jesus' compassion on people's lives and wanting them to be well in every different way, whether that's a freedom, whether it's an emotional well-being, whether it's spiritual well-being, whether it's physical well-being, they knew that Jesus cared. And one of the things that Jesus encouraged them to pray, didn't he? He, he taught them the Lord's Prayer because they saw Jesus pray to their heavenly, to, to his heavenly Father in a way that they'd never seen anybody pray before. And they said to Jesus, teach us to pray. And he says, our Father, come to God as Father. And you pray within this prayer, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So when we pray for somebody to get well or for somebody's well-being, we're praying for God's kingdom to come on earth as it will be 
in heaven one day. And Jesus' victory on the cross opens it up that some of that, some of that comes here and now. Now, I know that we don't see all the answers to prayers that we'd like to. The Bible says we see in part, we experience in part, one day we'll see in full. But the good thing is that the kingdom of God is for here and now. That God can come in to break into people's lives in various ways. It's very exciting and it's very encouraging. And they were aware of this. They were aware of this as they prayed. And fifthly, 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 they knew that they had been equipped to pray for people. They knew that they had been equipped. Jesus, several times it says, he breathed on them the Holy Spirit. When at Pentecost, they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. So they were aware that this wasn't from them, that they had been equipped in order to pray for people. So because it wasn't dependent on them, that they could have a confidence that this is dependent on the power of God. And in 2 Peter, 2 Peter, one of Peter's letters, so it's Peter that prayed for this guy, in one of his letters, one of Peter's letters, the second letter, he says this, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Through the Holy Spirit, baptism in the Holy Spirit, through the work of the Holy Spirit, through God breathing his life on us by the Spirit, gives us everything we need to do what God has called us to do. And there's many times that they'd experienced the Holy Spirit, which each time must have reminded them, God has given us everything that we need in order to do the things that he's called us to do. So as we draw into uh, close, coming to land a little bit. So they walk into the temple courts. This beggar was there, crippled for 40 years. Looked at Peter and John, expecting to get some money. Peter says, we haven't got any money. Silver and gold, I do not have. Then it says that Peter takes him by the right hand and lifts him to his feet. Now, this is significant. This is significant. Takes him by the right hand as a statement to say, mate, you're a beggar but you are somebody. You really are somebody. You see, in the early church, you didn't take somebody by the right hand unless you were in some way welcoming them, showing your appreciation, saying you can be part of our community. So it's interesting that it specifically says Peter took him by the right hand hand. This is the same right hand that later on in Acts, Peter shakes the hand of Paul and the same things happen. The right hand of fellowship. So this is incredibly significant, a visual sign of welcome, fellowship, and community. This guy had been ignored for 40 years, and Peter, by using his right hand, was saying, mate, you can come and join us. You can be part of us. You feel rejected by everybody else. You can belong to us. You're that significant. You're that important. Now, of course, some people, when we pray for them, can take a little bit longer to get to their feet as we pray that God blesses them progressively. But we still offer welcome. We still offer love. We still offer support. We still believe in them. We still 
pray. We still do all those things. So this crippled beggar, as we draw to a close, he gets more than he bargains for, as I said at the start. He beggars belief. Now, the next bit is important as well. Is that sometimes what we do when we, we look at the, uh, the book of Luke and the Acts of the Apostles, because Luke, he's the one that talks about the Holy Spirit the most. He writes... God used him to write the Acts of the Apostles. So Luke writes a lot of this stuff. So he talks about all these different miracles, all these different parables. And somebody says this, Luke constantly identifies the Gospels, the Gospel with those relegated to the periphery of society and faith, tax collectors, prostitutes, and widows, uh, as expressed in various teachings, miracles, and parables Jesus told. Now, look at this when you read the Bible. Please look at this when you read the Bible. Because often when you read about a miracle or a parable or something Jesus said, it's not just recording what Jesus did. It's recording and telling the story every time as to how Jesus views people. It tells us what God thinks about people. And that's the explanation. So when Jesus tells tells a parable about the the wedding banquet, he's saying all, all people are welcome. And when he heals people in a certain way, he's doing it, he's doing it, and it's recorded in the Bible because many people in that society would think that God doesn't like those kind of people. So Jesus breaks all the taboos, crosses all the boundaries, and heals people that everybody said they shouldn't, he shouldn't be healing them. Or they're only in that position because it's their own fault. But Jesus is he's saying, no, these people are welcome. I want to bless these, these people. So when you look at these, the miracles... Understand, try and look at the context of what Jesus is trying to say through that miracle and through that parable. Now, John Wesley says this. John Wesley had started Methodism. He says this. The greatest thing that you can do for somebody is to pray for them. He says that. And that's hard to disagree with. That's hard to disagree with. It's a wonderful thing to draw alongside people, whether they know you're praying for them or not. But it's wonderful to draw alongside people and pray for them. But it also says, very importantly, in the New Testament, that sometimes, as it says in James and in 1 John chapter 3, sometimes we don't just pray for them, but we help them. We help people practically. Because James says, you know, sometimes if if there's a friend in need, don't just say, I'm praying, if you can help them. Practically, we need to step out as well. Now, I'm delighted over the last 40, 50 years that... There's been a growing awareness that we can pray for people and see God move in power. I'm also delighted that God has raised up organizations like Christians Against Poverty who help people out of debt, not just praying but practically help people. I'm really delighted that God has raised up things like street pastors where people go into city centers um, on a Friday and Saturday night and a Sunday night and just help people, even if they've had too much to drink, helping them. If they need help, if they need to get home, helping them to get home, that is, that's the grace of God, isn't it? That is God's heart. God loves people. We might think, oh, they're drinking too much. God's not interested. He is interested. He's interested in people. I'm really blessed by street pastors. The Lighthouse Trust, who started schools for, for young people who have just opted out of schools, are just not in schools, and, and Christians that, that have raised those schools up. And uh, things like warm spaces, just all kinds of things that God is saying he's raised up to help people. So prayer 
and helping people practically, all these things go together. So let me finish with this quote from Dallas Willard, and then we'll pray. He says, the church is for discipleship, and discipleship is for the world. If we're growing in Christ, it should impact other people's lives. It should bless other people. Then he goes on to say, the effectiveness of a church's mission largely depends on its ability to mobilize its people in doing God's work in the world. That is the important thing, that we're mobilized to be used by God in these different ways. So I'm just going to invite Isaac up if he'd come and join me while we pray for a moment. I know I've covered a lot of ground there, which I often do. But it would be good to pray into this uh, as well over these next few moments. So why don't you, for a moment, bow your head and... uh, Uh, often closing your eyes eyes helps to reflect a little bit and within your heart maybe you'd ask the Lord say Lord is there something that you've got for me today is there something that you want me to reach out for is there something that you've been speaking to me about for a while and this is a moment where I just need to take hold of hold of this Lord we do thank you for your presence while we were worshipping today Just a great sense of your presence and your goodness to us. And Lord, we want to receive all that you've got for us. Thank you that your presence is still here. Thank you that you want to move us forward. You want to encourage us. You want to use us. You want to equip us. Lord, we thank you that your gospel, this good news, can impact everybody. And Lord, we know that you've decided to use people like us, which is amazing. And many of us here will be Christians, maybe filled with the Holy Spirit, but maybe this morning, within your heart, you're saying, God, I want you to use me. I really want you to use me. I want to draw alongside people and to pray in your name effectively and bless people. Lord, I know that there's many ways that you can use me, but I I really want to be able to get alongside people and just increase that anointing to pray for people. And there's some of you in different professions that are kind of help people in their well-being in different ways. And even though you don't get the chance to lay hands on people at work, You want to say, God, please, you know, just your anointing to come through so that I can help people in a more powerful way. Just even if I'm praying under my breath at times, just that movement of your Holy Spirit in the work that I do, in the settings that I do. And if your heart is for God to use you in in a new way, in a new way as you pray for people or you serve people practically, why don't you... Uh, I'm going to encourage you to say, God, this is really me saying I want to do this. I don't know how you're going to do it, but I want you to help me to do this. I'm just going to encourage you to stand to your feet, and I'd love to pray for you. It could be that you're used by God in a certain way, and you're saying, God, Lord, please move me on to the next level in praying for people. Give me opportunity to pray for people. Why don't you stand to your feet?
Now, some of you might be sitting there and thinking, oh, it just seems beyond me, but it's in my heart. See, God knows how to get us there. And so if you're thinking, this cannot be me, if it's in your heart, if it's in your, your, your desire, let's see what God can do over this next season. So before I pray, just give another opportunity. If this is what you're asking of God this morning, why don't you stand to your feet before we pray? going to do something that we don't normally do if um if you're need near somebody standing we wouldn't do this normally but if you're near somebody that's standing um you're a christian why don't you just go and put a hand on um those of us are leaders why don't you just go and put a hand on somebody's shoulder and uh just as a sign of encouragement that i'm standing with you with this um might need to get up and move across the room yeah uh, why don't you do that those of you kind of yeah, just stand up. There's some on the platform over here to my left or the right. Why don't you just go and stand with them this morning, Wendy, if you want to. Yeah, just a, it's a bit of initiative. Just go and make a move. Um, you don't have to be a leader. Just, uh, yeah, there's one or two on the platform, uh, on the side over here. James, do you want to go over and others? Go and pray for people. It's good to do this all together. all right we don't have to rush we've got a few minutes it's good to be involved we want to do this every sunday and hope you didn't mind my kind of doing it just felt that you know we're in this together and god wants to bless us and those of you standing uh, praying for people why don't you just just give you a moment to pray for the holy spirit to come upon them uh, and to bless them you do that in the spirit or just pray for the holy spirit to come upon them and to bless them Lord, thank you that they're responding to you and your invitation. Lord, may your spirit flow upon them. May this be a divine moment, a defining moment. You've laid this upon their hearts. Lord, give them great encouragement, Lord, over these next few days, over these next few weeks. May your anointing rise up upon them, Lord God. Your anointing, you've given us everything we need, but we pray, Lord, that filling, that filling of your Holy Spirit, that anointing, Lord, of your Holy Spirit, those opportunities, that desire, Lord, just to step out. Your prompting, pray for the prompting of the Holy Spirit. The prompting of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your grace. Thank you, Lord, for your love. Lord God, bless you, Lord. May you do that, Lord. praying for a moment and then the band would lead us but it's great to bring this blessing one to another this morning this morning we have 
prayed, obviously, about this crippled beggar. We've talked about it, him. And if you specifically like somebody to pray for you this morning, other than what we've prayed for, then we'd be delighted to do it. One or two of us will be down here at the front, and we'd be happy to pray for you this morning if you'd like us to do that. Thank you.